0: What's up guys today i am talking with dr ronnie shalev ronnie is a board certified emergency physician a real estate investor and an entrepreneur she's the co-founder of xiaowen properties and has built a real estate portfolio of over 5100 units with 184 million in assets under management ronnie's mission today is to help other professionals build and protect their wealth so that they can reclaim their lives and freedom today we discuss her story of how the system of medicine really burned her out to the point of leaving the profession altogether, despite having a passion for caring for patients and helping people. She shares how if it wasn't for pressures within the system, she probably would be still practicing medicine today. We discussed the importance of not just the academic side of business, finances, and real estate, but the value of investing in yourself and developing key relationships. We walk through her ultimate transition out of medicine and how she made the jump into full-time real estate. We also talk about how she was able to find some passion within real estate uh, and really equate it to to also helping people kind of like she was able to do within medicine. And then we wrap up with going through some of the resources she has created to help others navigating along this similar path. Welcome to Finance for Physicians, a show where we empower physicians like you to practice medicine the way you always dreamed you would. This podcast features doctors, physicians, and experts that share one main thing in common. We believe having control of our finances leads to having control of our lives. In a world where doctors' lives are often dictated by our needs to maximize income, pay back massive student loans and buy homes, many of us give up reaching those goals, but it doesn't have to be this way. If you are ready to learn how financial wellness creates happier doctors and patients, then I'm your guy. I'm your host and financial expert, Daniel Wren. Let's get started. Ronnie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I love talking about real estate and finances, obviously, and you have a background as an emergency physician. And I think you have kind of an interesting story that hopefully we'll get into a little bit. So I'm excited to talk about all that sort of thing. I know you're doing some big things in real estate and that's also something, there's a lot to that. I, I feel like we could talk about real estate for an hour, for hours and hours and hours. But before we get into kind of what you have going on and and, and all that sort of thing, I kind of have this theory. There, I don't know if you've seen this, but it feels like there's a lot of interest in the physician circles in real estate. Have you kind of felt that, or maybe a growing interest or greater interest, or has it always been this this way that there's been an interest?
1: I think over the last three years, there's definitely been an increase. And I think it has a lot to do with physicians always thinking that they had, yes, we're treated terribly and there's no respect anymore. and, And our salaries keep going down and reimbursement is down and administrators are telling us what to do. But we always had a sense of job security and COVID proved that wrong. COVID proved that physicians, even during a pandemic, can be let go. Their hours can be cut, their salaries cut. They can be told you have to go in to see this patient that has an incredibly infectious disease and you might die. But mm-hmm. you have to go in because you have to get paid. And so that they started thinking like, oh my God, okay, well, what if I don't want to do this? Yeah. What are my options? I'm tied to this job. What happens if I get really, really sick? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do for income? And I think that it was just kind of a wake-up call. And it's not limited to just physicians. There's the great resignation now. Like people are leaving corporate jobs and it, it's not limited to that. But there was a big awakening during and after COVID.
0: Yeah, I feel like you could call it physician burnout or moral injury or whatever frustrations with your career, or there's this like increased desire to and people even say it this way to get gain freedom. Freedom is like a big kind of buzzword. Physicians are looking for like freedom or alternatives. And typically what I see coming up is real top of the list solutions, real estate's usually on it, but it's like side gigs, real estate, or I'm going to retire early. Right. Or maybe a career shift of some sort, which kind of, there's a lot of overlap on those things, but it seems like all that's interrelated. It sounds like you're on the same page with that. And that's my first thought is like, so freedom, I think is a a key word. Like, And my thought is like, what are you needing to get freedom from?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it depends. It's a personal question, right? Every person Mm -hmm. has their own idea of what freedom is. Is it freedom of their time? Is it freedom to travel? Is it freedom to practice medicine? How they choose to practice medicine? Freedom from financial worries. I mean, there's so many ways to look at freedom. And it's a personal definition, I guess. I
0: yeah. think though, uh, it seems like a lot of physicians in training kind of like feel like going into practice is freedom.
1: Oh yeah, for I sure. I mean, on
0: the, on the back end, they usually don't say it that way. They're like, no, 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 it's <laughs> not freedom. Oh
1: uh, uh, yeah. I mean, for sure. Like residency is almost like military. There's yeah. an intern and then it's a second year resident, 30 year resident, chief resident, fellow attending. You're constantly being told what to do. And what you chose to do is wrong or not wrong or right. There's no freedom. Your your schedule is given to you. You're told when you go to work, when you come home, uh, if you come home, because most of the time you're sleeping in the hospital and you're doing call. And so there's when you're done with that, people are like, yay, I'm free. Yeah. And then they hit the the real world when it's got its own shackles.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times that's what we're after is like getting free from the shackles. I mean, the opposite of freedom I think of is like slavery. Now, I know physicians are not slaves necessarily, but I mean, you can be a slave and be compensated. That doesn't have to be intertwined. But freedom is a, I think, a high priority for a lot of people. And they don't feel that in healthcare today. I feel like healthcare is kind of like squeezing the freedom out of people. It's like taking away your freedom, especially yeah. when you sign like a really, really long non compete or you commit on your finances and you're really locked into working or you're in just a especially high pressure job. Or like I was, <laughs> we were talking about the videos. What was his name? Dr. Glockin. Glockin
1: Flecken. Lock and, flick. and I had
0: to bring that up <laughs> because Ronnie recommended it. And if you haven't seen his videos, they're hilarious. But he has all kinds of videos about stereotypes with different physicians. But he also has some about like problems in healthcare and insurance and distress and all that kind of thing. And they're real things. And a lot of times driving you to want to get out of medicine, but was that, so do you feel like that is what really was the underpinning to why you got into real estate? Were you seeking that freedom?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was really a victim of the golden handcuffs. I was making a ton of money, but my time was directly related to my income. So if I wasn't working, I wasn't making money. Mm -hmm. I wasn't making money unless I was in the hospital taking care of patients doing what I need to do. So one day my husband's like, yeah, you're an hourly worker. I mean, I knew it was an hourly worker, but he's like, well, you're a high paid hourly worker, but you're you're just an hourly worker. Mm-hmm. And because I would come home from these shifts, exhausted physically, mentally, and say to myself, well, what else am I supposed to be doing? Like, I don't know how to make this type of money anywhere else. Like we're not taught anything else. Like I, I went into a profession that I was taught a trade I was taught how to do it. I spent years and years, and then I was deep into my career, and I was making a lot of money, which I thought would make me happy, and it didn't. And so I tried to cut some shifts, right, or take more vacations or... But every time you take a vacation, as an emergency room doctor, you're required to do a certain amount of shifts per month. So if I was taking a vacation, that means I would be front-loaded before, and then backloaded after my vacation. So I would get killed before the vacation, take the vacation, takes me like four days to recover. And then you're in the vacation, you blink, the vacation's over, and then you're working like crazy just to make up for the time that you weren't working. That's the worst. That was what I did for 16 years. Mm. It was like, well, there isn't any other option. And that's why we started looking around like, well, how do other people not do this? How do other people make money? Because making money can't be that hard. And really with this journey that I've been through, I realized that my mindset has switched from scarcity to abundance. And Mm. it's actually easy to make money if you know where to look and what to do and how to do it. So really the first switch is mindset and the second Mm. switch is education.
0: Yeah, so more money did not make you happy. I think that's important to reemphasize. When you started, I don't know, earlier in your career, did you think more money was gonna make you happy?
1: I just thought if I was going to make a ton of money, I could work less for the same amount of money. So I kept saying like, okay, now I'm working 17, 18 shifts a month. Mm -hmm. So when I make partner in my group and I'll make more money, I'll be able to go down to 12. For sure, I'll be able to last many, many years to do that. Well, I went down to 12 and I was still just as miserable. So then I went down to 10. I was like, I'll just make less money. But then I couldn't go down any lower. We had to pay our bills. It, to me, it was, it was just the stress of everything that and I just felt. I mean, I was in the, you know, in the emergency world, you're told, you're it, it's like a thankless job, really. Your patients are angry. You're, you're really helping them on their worst day. So you're not getting the best side of them. It's a high stress. The consultants are angry with you. There's a high, it's like a fishbowl mentality. Everybody's coming in and telling you, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? You're fighting with everybody to get patients admitted or discharged or go to surgery. You're constantly just trying to take care of the patient and every interaction is possible. When it, hey, when it goes smooth, it's amazing. You're like, oh my God, I love my job. But Mm -hmm. the reality of emergency medicine is You're constantly trying to convince someone of what you're seeing. So if I had a patient that had severe abdominal pain and the CT scan didn't show what I thought it would show, but this patient looks terrible and something's wrong with them and they need to go for exploratory laparotomy, I would have to convince a surgeon to do that. They weren't in-house. So I would have to give the clinical picture. I would have to say like, something's going on. Like, I can't just send this patient home. Something's wrong. I don't know what it is. But something's wrong. And that's just one example. Mm-hmm. We could see 50 patients a day.
0: Yeah. Was so, there like a breaking point for you? Like, did you have a um, moment in time where you're like, oh my, or did it kind of like get slowly worse where you're like, I need to. I
1: had, I had some direction. major like breaking points, but I kept pushing through. I had a shift really early in my career, two years into being an attending where I had two pediatric deaths in one day, in one shift. It was mm-hmm. like, I, I, it was awful. Plus you see the other 40 patients. So after that shift, I said, oh my God, how do people do this for 30 years? Like, what if I have tomorrow another shift like this? Right. So, but then I continued. I said, Oh, well, let me try it. Maybe it's the environment. Maybe it's the clinical setting. Maybe I need to be less urban and more suburban. So, I switched around in different clinical scenarios. I uh, went to a freestanding emergency room kind of work where you do it's kind of very low volume, mm-hmm. less stress, but it's very long shifts. It could be a 24 hour shift that you're working. But I also worked shorter shifts that were very, very high intensity where I could be taking care of three or four dying patients at the same time. So you realize where you're like, at some point it starts weighing, it's like, it starts just weighing on you and weighing on you and weighing on you. And really my final end was in COVID. I saw no ends. It was nine months into COVID. There was no end in sight. It was just, I was like, this isn't going to end anytime soon. I, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm in a respirator. People are just dying everywhere. It's just bad patient care, bad health care. I was at risk. My family was at risk. And I said, that's it. And that's when I stepped away from medicine.
0: Yeah, that's hard. Both the different, those are two kind of different flavors of challenges. Like all of it's hard, but dealing with a death, I don't care who it is. Like if the pediatric death, to me sounds just super challenging or stressful or that's not the right word, terrible to go through. But first thing I think of is like therapy and like resources and like the worst thing to do is to like bury it, I I would think. I'm not an expert at that kind of thing, but I'm curious if there were like resources in the system you're in that were like oh it's been a terrible day like here's some like somebody to go talk to you should probably have like a unwinding session
1: yeah we did not have it at that facility when i moved that was in new york when i moved to texas that was the first time that i had heard of those type of sessions where you just kind of talk about what happened because Mm -hmm. i mean we had obviously more more pediatric deaths and so those do happen but you know It's just assumed that the physician, we're supposed to just like bottle it back up and go see the ankle sprain that's still waiting to be seen. You know, after you deal with that, you have to, and then you still have to walk into that room and say, hi, how are you? What brings you in today after what you just did, right? You just tried to resuscitate a child and- you had to tell the family and you had to talk to the police and you had oh, to, I mean, there's just like so many levels. And then there's people that are still waiting to be seen and they don't know what's going on. I'm you know, what I don't need to tell them, but whatever it is, there's just so many levels in the emergency room. You know, every patient that gets discharged from the emergency room gets a press Ganey survey. Do you know, have you ever heard that? of that? No. They get, so how was your treatment? Did your doctor pay attention to you? How patient was your doctor? Did they smile? Did they greet you? Did they sit down? Did they shake your hand? So those, the ankle sprain is the one that gets those surveys. And our salaries are tied to those surveys, not the people that we spend hours with trying to save their lives.
0: Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Wren Financial Planning. Unfortunately, this type of story is becoming more and more common. The system is burning physicians out and driving them away. That's where your finances can really come into play. Finances are kind of like an amplifier in life. The more of it you make, the more it propels you in one direction or the other. Money can be the reason you completely get locked into the golden handcuffs of a terrible toxic job, but money can also be the reason and the source of being able to be making a huge career jump, like maybe standing up to the system or setting some key boundaries, or maybe getting into leadership and having a voice. Or maybe it's pursuing financial independence or getting into business for yourself, or maybe it's real estate, like our guests today. I don't want any of you to end up in that place where money is a burden and weighing you down and really making it impossible to solve these problems. And I think the key to avoiding that is having a plan. And then of course, taking action on it. Now, this is something that you can completely do yourself. However, I know many of you are busy and and it's intimidating to do this, especially for the first time. And, And maybe you're not confident quite yet, or maybe you're having trouble knowing where to start, or maybe it's difficult for you to loop in your spouse. For those that can relate to this, please take a moment to schedule a no cost consult with one of our financial planners at Wren Financial Plan. We can chat about what it might look like to partner together and help you to start making your plan and putting it into action. I'll have a link in the show notes where you can schedule that and make sure to indicate that you found us on the Funniest for Physicians podcast. Okay, back to the show.
1: So like the whole system is just very broken. I could go on and on for hours about how broken it is. So I don't want to depress you.
0: (laughs) Well, if, if I have had many, many conversations about the problems within healthcare, and if you've listened for a while, if you're listening, you've heard many conversations about a lot of the problems. It is good to talk about them and understand them and start to work towards solutions. But I'm shifting towards more the bright side. Like, let's pretend like Things had been better. Like, I imagine you had some kind of like roses and sunshine view of how things were going to shake out in medicine, or like hypothetically, if you were to have gone into practice and things had not been so stressful and it would have been like you could have provided the care that you had always thought was the right way to do things and all these stressors hadn't occurred, do you think things would have played out the same? Would you have stayed in practice?
1: I would have stayed in. I would have stayed in and I would have stayed in my little bubble of this is how you do it. You save money, you pay off your house, you put money in a 401k and you should be fine. Mm -mm. Right. I have till I'm 65 to make sure I'm fine. The job's not going anywhere. I like it. You know, I have, I'm highly skilled. If you enjoy it too. Right. I enjoyed it. Initially I went into emergency medicine because you have the flexibility. No one's calling you you're never on call. You don't have a pager. So, you know, when you're off, you're off. So I was planning on traveling and taking up hobbies and and doing all kinds of things on the days off.
0: That's interesting. As a patient, I am a little uneasy about that statement because I'm like I've heard and I've heard a lot of people say that, and then usually it's like the smarter people that I know or the like successful people that kind of have a lot of good things going, and it's frustrating that those you and those others are leaving healthcare and therefore are not able to be my physician selfishly or my kiddos physician, but I also. I also get yeah. it like that. So I assume there's probably a little bit of like guilt feeling in the back either. Or maybe there was at some point where you're like, and then I could imagine that would make it even a little harder to, I'm sure people feel that not to say that that's a reason not to, I'm guessing that was a factor as well.
1: I'll tell you, first of all, I am very scared of when I'm older, who will take care of me? Who's going to be in the emergency room? Who's going to be in the hospitals? It's not going to be physicians. There's going to be nurse practitioners. There's going to be PAs, the physicians. I don't know who's the supervising doctor going to be. I, there's going to be a mass. there's already a shortage of doctors, but it is going to be really, really bad. Unless we find some AI that takes over, but it, it's going to be awful. Mm-hmm. Do I have guilt about leaving? No, I took care of so many people and I've saved so many lives and I was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I put my heart and soul into it. I don't feel guilty about completing my, that chapter in my life. And now I help people in another way before I helped them in their life emergencies with their wellness, with their health. Now I'm doing it with their wealth. I'm helping them with their finances. I'm giving them options that they've never learned about. And they're just as scared. <laughs> they're just as scared with finances as they are in the emergency room. Yeah. People are fear what they don't know. People fear that they, what they don't have control over. So I feel like I'm still helping people and I'm still making an impact. And I'm never going to stop that.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, that's good that you were able to get to that point. I think a lot of people stay in a painful situation because of the guilt. And that's like unhealthy in itself. And then they forget about that whole, like they've served patients for years and years and years. And it's a huge deal that in itself. And at some point, the other thing too, so the brighter view, or at least my brighter view of that problem, I just pointed out, like, I think the more people that leave, like you have, or that like call somebody out, or like, do something about it the more somebody's going to wake up or more likely somebody's going to wake up or do something different so this is a good thing like you can't just like go with the status quo and like give into the guilt because that doesn't do anything about the problem it really actually compounds it and so hopefully things start to change i think they are starting to change and it's a slow progression but but yeah in real estate too you can help people in that regard you can help people in a million different ways and i think most physicians got into practice to help people for the right reasons But you don't, like you're saying you can help people with their finances and gaining freedom from whatever it might be to them. Was that like a huge transition? I feel like some people are intimidated by that or I see that in people, the idea of going from medicine to financial.
1: Well, if if you just say, I I never said I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna be a finance expert. (laughs) I'm gonna learn private equity. If you would have asked me that five years ago, I would have been like, what does private equity mean? It's been a journey. And the only thing that would have forced me to get there is I had to be forced. I had to have hated my life, hated my current situation enough for me to look for alternatives. And believe me, I looked for so many. I was looking to start a yogurt franchise or Chick-fil-A or start a car wash. My husband and I, we started two CrossFit gyms. Mm. Um, I was (laughs) part of two freestanding emergency rooms. So I did start doing a lot of this. I was very business oriented without knowing I was business oriented, even in 2015, where I opened opened two freestanding emergency rooms with several other physicians, and we were running our own business. But again, it was healthcare related. And a lot of the same problems that I was seeing in healthcare made me just say, you know what, I want to learn more about this other world. Um, And so it wasn't really a, I went from here to here. So it scared me
0: you were getting into entrepreneurship within healthcare already. So therefore, I mean, there's a ton of carryover. I mean, like entrepreneurship in healthcare is very similar to entrepreneurship in anything. I mean, entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship. And you have to know finances or have some level of financial literacy, in my opinion, to be in business, or at least it forces you to focus on that a little Mm -hmm. bit more than I mean, in healthcare, you can kind of not pay attention to the economics and the financial aspects. And so you were already in that. So why didn't you have a million CrossFit gyms? What about like the freestanding ERs and the I guess you already mentioned that, like the issue with those is it was kind of pulling you back into the healthcare related issues, but I'm curious about the other. Uh,
1: I I still own them. I still own my freestanding ERs, but you know, they're, they have their own issues where government's not, there's all kinds of healthcare reform regarding reimbursement and insurance declining freestanding emergency rooms and not paying bills. And so there's their own like healthcare related issues Mm -hmm. Regarding that business. So to me right now I'm staying away from healthcare related businesses. It's just so highly, highly, highly just scrutinized, regulated, and I don't invest in hospitals. I don't invest in even healthcare related real estate. I just That's interesting. I'm just avoiding that whole sector. Yep. In terms of the CrossFit gyms, COVID killed the gym business. People yeah. we had to shut down. So those businesses really dwindled because we had to turn away our clients and then we had to rebuild everything back. I mean, it was not fun. <laughs> yeah. So even though we thought like, hey, you know, we got some diversification in entrepreneurial businesses, it really wasn't enough diversification. But really, it was enough for me to say, we have enough money coming in for me to leave medicine. We had diversified into real estate that that sector had still continued to provide Mm -hmm. that I was able to say, okay, I'm leaving medicine and then we'll figure the rest out.
0: Yeah. So you had all these other ventures, including real estate, you were buying real estate, what kind of real estate? So you, I know you had the the ERs and the CrossFit and And you also had real estate at that time that you had been buying?
1: Yeah. So none of those others were real estate. Those were businesses. Mm. You didn't own Um, real estate with those? No, no. The real estate that I owned, I mean, I got involved in self-storage. I got involved in retail centers. I got involved in standalone buildings, triple net leases, ground leases, assisted living, RV parks, mobile home parks, apartments. I got involved in it all and really... In 2019, I was like, well, I really like multifamily, the apartment, because of the really the foundation of everybody needs the need is there. Everybody needs Mm. a housing that's never going to go away. Like if they're working from home because of COVID or from whatever, they're working from home. So they still need their house. They don't need their offices. If they're shopping, most of the time they're shopping online. They're not shopping, going into stores really. Mm -hmm. So again, where are they shopping from? They're shopping from their house, from their home. And then I started looking into, well, how do I get into, I don't want to be just a landlord where I buy a house and rent them. you You can buy those homes. There's so many ways to make money in real estate. You can fix and flip, you can wholesale. Sale, you can house hack, you can do long term rentals, short term rentals, mid term rentals. I didn't want to do any of that. Like, how do I not do that in a single family or house? Like, I want to get into the housing business. And that's when I started looking at well, there's commercial housing, which is apartments.
0: What made you not want to do single family versus why did you like multi versus single?
1: It's completely different because when you have houses, one house, one tenant goes leaves or you have to evict them or whatever, they destroy your house, your investment is completely not functioning, right? You're not bringing in any income. Yep. However, if you have 100 apartments, you have more of economies of scale. If five tenants are being evicted, your business is still running. It's actually a business. So what I liked about it is when you're buying commercial real estate, you're buying a business. So yep. not only are do you have it backed with real estate, but you're buying an operating business. There's rent, there's tenants, there's employees, there's a leasing office, there's maintenance people. You're really purchasing a business and you're running a business. And it Mm -hmm. was very much a bridge from running the ERs and running the other businesses. It was just kind of a step up that associated with apartments. And that's kind of our forte, how we transitioned to really being operators where we're asset managing a lot of these large properties. And we're up to a little bit over 4,000 apartment doors right now.
0: Yeah. So you like, I mean, it's kind of like, I guess, diversification. That'd be like buying one stock versus buying a mutual fund of stocks <laughs> in the finance right. world, having one door or one single family home. It's also kind of expensive to buy a home, one home, whereas you could buy a multifamily and the cost per door is lower and you're diversifying so that that's what attracted you. And plus the the business aspect, and it's more like running a business and in the entrepreneur. There's life. always
1: a need. And we focus mm-hmm. on recession resistant workforce housing. So we're looking for housing that people want and need. They are they're mm-hmm. older properties. They're you know, 90, 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s. They're not the newest kind. So if the people that are living in class A properties lose their job, mm-hmm. they can't afford it. Or they have to take a pay cut, or some. They're going to move to the Bs. Yep. And Same thing with the Bs move to the Cs. So if I get that demographic of Class B, C, multifamily, there's always going to be a need. So when you're looking for a business, you want to you want to look for what is the niche that has a need because you want to solve the need. There needs to be affordable housing. There needs to be nice houses for people that have a certain income. Mm. So we take these properties. And we add, make them nicer. We renovate them. We fix everything that's broken. Things that haven't been changed in forever. Boilers, electric panels. We add amenities. We add dog parks and they pet yards. And we add a lot of different things. We make it nicer for them. So they have a nice place to live. So there yep. is a mission behind what we do as well. And mm-hmm. You look for the demographic. So you're looking for the affordable housing, but I'm also looking for a submarket. Where are people moving? What's growing? What demo- what county is growing? What submarket's growing? What is it diverse? Is it one employer? Is it 20 employers? Is it 20 employers that are the same type? Are they in the same sector or are they multiple? So I really enjoy the whole like economic look at what's going on mm-hmm. in the market, in the submarket. So we really drilled down and that's where we decided, you know, like apartments in diverse economies that are growing, that's where we should focus our business endeavors. And that's where Mm -hmm. we got into the apartment industry.
0: I imagine there were some people, like key people around you. Most people don't do this alone. Like you've done a lot of big things. I guess on occasion they do, but most of the time there's key people around that helped to kind of like- Propel I have you paid. so
1: absolutely. You cannot do this alone. I have paid for mentors. I have paid for education. I've gone to conferences, seminars, courses, mentorship, masterminds. I have spent over a hundred thousand dollars just on education regarding this industry. I mean,
0: it's going like med school.
1: Absolutely. I just don't have a couple letters after my name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've I've uh, done the I, yeah. same for my. I've had to do the same for my entrepreneurship and education like we, <laughs> there's no like formal credentialing but you you educate you have to educate yourself in order to proceed to the next level and provide value and then also for me at least and a lot of the families we work with one on one there's always like when you're just by yourself like in with your own thoughts only you run into these hurdles and it's really difficult to everybody's probably been through those. You're you're the
1: sum of the five people you surround yourself with.
0: Yeah. I love it. Average of your five best friends,
1: you know? So, I mean, if you're going to surround yourself with Eagles, you're going to learn how to be an Eagle. Correct. Surround yourself.
0: Take a look at your five friends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You might have to get rid of a few, but
1: so, you know, we've, we paid to be in certain rooms rooms where people are billionaires. And that's Mm. because, you know, we go on vacation with billionaires, we go to conferences with billionaires, people that have done amazing things, because it helps with your mindset. It's like, oh, they did that? Oh,
0: (laughs) they're not very smart. And I could do that.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. You know, that's amazing. Like, oh, and they're, you know, this is what they're doing with their money. And this is what they're doing with their finances. And oh yeah, this is what I'm doing. And it's very important to surround yourself with the right people. If anybody's that's listening to this is interested in mindset, look up like how long it took someone to run a mile the first time. And then once they, some people saw how fast he did it, like, within a year, like three people. The
0: four broke minute mile, record. you mean? Yeah,
1: it, yeah, it yeah. was some something like that story. It's like, once yeah. you see that there is no ceiling, you can really excel.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'm going to see if I can find something on that. That is such a great example. The four minute mile was like such a long time, nobody could break it. And then the one person broke it. And then it was like, boom, everybody, yeah. everybody started doing it. And it was which is tells you it's a lot about mindset.
1: Mindset is 80% of it. Technique mm-hmm. is 20. Yeah. And in order to change my mindset, I had to spend a lot of time with people that were different than me and were not, that didn't think like me. Yep, um, And sometimes pay for it, which all of the time, pay for it all the time. No, one's yeah. gonna, no one that's successful is going to give you their time, which is their most precious commodity. A lot of time without paying for it in one way or the other.
0: Right. Yeah, that, that's important. I think sometimes it's hard for people to wrap their head around, but you have to invest. And then relationships are critical. People will make you or break you. You become the average of the people you're around and for better or for worse. But you can also, when you are aware of that, I think it changes your perspective and you can start to, uh, you know, use that to help you be a stepping stone in the right direction instead of the wrong direction. So, With real estate, I think I'm curious about the multifamily world a little bit. And I'm sure some people resonate with what you were saying about the, you know, I think a lot of people say like, I want to buy a single family home or something like that's kind of a classic people where people start with real estate. But I think a lot of people probably resonate with your idea that, you know, having multiple units, it sounds more appealing than having one and it's like diversification in the business and all the things. But it also seems like it could be much more intimidating to get started like where do you how do you get started in that kind of thing like if you don't have millions already and
1: (laughs) yeah so i mean you find someone like me that's doing these kind of deals that has deals that has deal flow that has the connections and you invest you co-invest you invest alongside me and you get your feet wet you learn about the process Mm -hmm. and then you do it again and you do it again and then if you really like it Then you go and you you start going to conferences, go to one conference, go to two conferences a year, you know, whatever it is, start listening to podcasts, educating yourself. And then, you know, I would recommend before you take on like a $20 million project or a $30 million project that you get some education. And there's plenty of mentorship programs that do that education, but it's very easy to get started.
0: Do you have like favorites or particular either podcast or educational resources or places to go to get your feet wet?
1: I really like the Think Multifamily podcast. I listened to that even today. I didn't join their mentorship program. I went with Brad Sumrock's as mentorship program, but I still really like Think Multifamily's podcast. I think that they have good events and I've invested with them even mm-hmm. as a passive investor where I'm not running the deal. So Really, once you start getting into that world and you start listening to other people and meeting, going to networking events, and you you start seeing who's in that world, who's getting the deal flow, do the, you learn how to look at the numbers? Do the numbers make sense? Mm-hmm. And then and then it's does the market make sense? And then it's well, who's the team? What's their track record? And and then you say okay. And actually I have a YouTube channel that I have a lot of, I break down a lot of information on how to look at the deals, what the deal structures are, what the terminology is, why apartments, why syndication. So there's a lot of different videos on my YouTube channel. It's at Shaowen Properties and they're not long, they're bite-sized. You can watch them on 2X speed.
0: Yep. We'll um, link to those. But, those are classic questions Or as you start to get into education, like why should I do one versus the other and passive versus active? Maybe we could just hit, hit on that briefly. Like when you say passive versus active, can you clarify that a bit for those oh, that yeah. are not?
1: So when you're saying, Hey, I want to invest in real estate, but God, I don't have the time. And I don't want to be called by tenants that the electricity is down or there's a leak or the toilet's stopped up or there's termites or there's mold. I don't want them to call me. I don't want (laughs) to deal with them. You don't have to. You don't have to. Someone else does that for you. So if you don't want to do that and you want to leverage someone else's expertise, someone else's money, someone else's connections, someone else's deal flow, that's when you become a passive investor. And that's what I said, where you invest alongside me. I'm going to be doing all that other stuff. I'm going to be signing on the loan. I'm going to be putting together the enough money and liquidity and net worth to get a $30 million loan. I'm going to be the one running the project, dealing with all of that stuff, the day-to-day operations. I'm active, but if you want to be passive, you're welcome to be passive alongside me. If you want to be active and still do what I do, then that's where the education, you have to get educated.
0: Yeah, I think passive is a good dip your toe in, or in starting place and maybe even ultimately as far as you go, depending on how much you enjoy it. But passive is a good starting point to get into real estate because like you're saying, there's not this additional risk and obligation, especially when you're talking about like multifamily. And I would have even lean towards that and like single family. There's ways to go that about that.
1: Yeah. More and a lot of people have, well. they have jobs, they have lives, they yeah. want to do some real estate, but they don't have the time, but they have money sitting that they want to do it. So you can still do it passively. Other people do the, the hard labor, the, the uh-huh. roll up their sleeves and you get to enjoy the perks.
0: The hard part about the passive route is you still have to like sort through all the junk. And I mean, there's a lot of sales. There's a lot of gurus and dummies yeah, out there to, selling real estate deals. So right. you kind of have, you have to,
1: to do your due diligence. You have to find people that you trust. You yep. have to get to know people. And I, I mean, if you're going to be investing, you should do that with any investment, Correct. not just multifamily.
0: Yeah. And that's something like if you work with people in finance, whether it's financial planner or really somebody in real estate can help like running it by other people, I mm-hmm. guess is what I'm trying to say, especially early on, even mentors too. like getting some multiple input on deals. That's, that's a great way to kind of start to get some second opinions. We've seen many deals that are like problematic. I mean, it's pretty big time obvious problems. A lot of them are really good. But it's, it's important to from a pa- for passive, it's you don't have to do a lot of work. But it's important to like on the front end, do a little bit of homework yeah. and, and and make sure it's like a pretty good trustworthy person. And I think the people are critical.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You everybody's need to do gonna say their, diligence. And I actually have, how do you vet a sponsor checklist? If anybody wants that, they can contact me and I'll be happy to to shoot that over.
0: Okay. What would be the best way for people to contact you for that? Or is there a easier way to share that?
1: Uh, Yeah, no, I, you can either uh, email me at Ronnie at Shalwin Properties. I'll be happy to um, send that over. Uh, I also have a lot of education on my website, Um, shallwinproperties.com. I have videos. I have education mm-hmm. things that if you even if you I have A's, I have investor 101 information on there, active versus passive, accredited versus sophisticated investors. There's so many things, there's so mm-hmm. much education. So if people want to go on my website, it's just totally, and you don't even have to give me your name or email or anything like that. Yeah. You just can, you have access to it.
0: That's perfect. Yeah. We'll, we'll link to all that. And that's great that you're doing that. I think that's important just to, Get the baseline there is get that education i know we're getting towards the end of our time i was curious one last question i i was i was really interested in your thoughts on the market is kind of weird right now like interest rates have gone up quite a bit so if you're leveraging real estate that's more painful and then also prices with certain types of real estate is still kind of staying high but commercial real estate's really weird too so i'm just curious of like <laughs> It's definitely
1: a weird time, very stressful time. So I just like to look at it and say, this is a very hard time, but I'm going to be able to say in five years, yeah, I survived 2021, 2022, or whatever it's the interest rate recession or whatever we're going to call it, inflation-driven recession. But yeah, I, I think that the market is is definitely strange with the high interest rates. Buyers aren't able to pay as much as sellers want. So if they're not needing to sell, they're not. So there's not a lot of inventory. Now, there are a lot of no, like loans that are going to come due at the end of this, this year and next year. And if the interest rates stay this high,
0: it's going to reset. It's gonna
1: it's gonna cause a lot of distress within the sellers. and then the, the cap rates are gonna go up and the prices are going to go down and people are gonna it's gonna be a great buying opportunity. So we are right now actively looking for distressed sellers for we really want to find people that have to sell their properties. And whether it's the loan or they can you know they don't have a they they can't handle the mortgage payment anymore or whatever it is, mm. um, yep, that's when opportunity starts calling. And it's times like this. So it's strange. it's stressful, but it's also opportunity,
0: yeah real estate is a long play. It's not a get rich quick. And when you're in it for the long game, and when you you become educated, you start to like see these sorts of opportunities, or it's easier to spot these sorts of opportunities. It's like anything when you're in it a lot. And I I enjoy looking at real estate. And it's just like, it feels less desirable to want to invest in real estate today. But I think if you're serious about it, that doesn't I don't think that should stop you necessarily from like investing in real estate, especially if you're dipping your toe in the water. I Mm -hmm. think when you're especially when you're early in on it, like the biggest thing is like trying it and getting started in some capacity and then getting so once you start doing it, then you gain the experience. The experience is key. Because if you've had once you've had a long period of experience, that's that's when you can really do some damage with this. But I like your perspective with that. and it sounds like you're doing things the right way. And it's always refreshing to see and you've got a lot of good educational resources which is super helpful and so I, I really appreciate you coming on to chat about real estate i feel like there's a million other things i i wanted to ask you about i'm very curious <laughs> in what you're doing and i i'm like a closet real estate fanatic i've never it's for another day i'll tell you my experience in real estate <laughs> for another day but i am very interested in it and i i'm a fan of it i think it's a, a great way to, to build wealth but there are a lot of misconceptions and people with not adequate education. So keep up the work, good work, putting out good stuff. And thank you again for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been a really good conversation. I've enjoyed it.
0: You've been listening to finance for physicians to make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast player. On this show, we believe that when you prioritize your finances, you take better care of yourself, have more fulfilling relationships with your families. And most importantly, provide higher quality care for your patients. If you feel this way too and want to learn more, then make sure to join our community. Follow the Finance for Physicians Facebook group for bonus content and sneak peeks on next week's episode. Thanks for listening.